So Ben Shulman, the story of this game sure turned in a hurry. I, I really did think we were going to start with a lot of Jose Barrios conversations, and we'll, we'll certainly talk about it, but Ooh, that eighth. eighth inning, oh my <laughs> good heavens. Like the top of the eighth inning, really the entire eighth inning, but it's, it's all something I think we'd like to forget. Like to me, I'm curious if you feel any different, but this game to me, despite the fact that more runs were given up in the, in the bottom of the eighth inning, this game was lost when the big bats, your best players, your literal three best players on this entire team come to the plate and were unable to do anything against Brian Abreu, who is pretty nasty. He's, but, he's gross. But he, he bases loaded, no one out, down just one run, and you get nothing out of George Springer, Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That's where the game was lost to me. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree. I mean, there obviously was a chance that they would come out in the ninth inning and end up, you know, putting themselves in a chance to either take it to extras or win. But at the same time, they squandered by far their best opportunity of the game. And this is a nasty Astros bullpen. Even if Ryan Presley is struggling, he's one of the best closers in baseball over the last two years, I would say. So, yeah, it was... There was always, you know, technically a chance that they would come back in the ninth and do it. But I agree with you, given what they had done before that inning too, what was the likelihood they were going to pick up anything offensively in the ninth? It really, it really did come down to the eighth. And at least for George, you kind of feel for him because he, he did do enough in a way. It was just the, uh, the unluckiness or the randomness of baseball that got in the way. That is Ben Shulman. I'm show Ali. Welcome to Jay's talk. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network, streaming live on Sportsnet.ca, on the Sportsnet app as well. We are taking your calls and texts. Phone lines are open for 1-6-8-7-0-5-90, star 590. On your cellular device, 590-590 is the people's text line, and it's always open. It's true. But George Springer, I don't know. He lines out directly to Alex Bregman on a hit that had an expected batting average of effectively 70%. 70% he wired of the time, it. that's a hit. He wired it. Oh, my good heavens. Like, Rafael Montero was not effective for the Houston Astros, and he was pulled after the bases were loaded and no outs. But he lines out to Bregman. Bo Bichette strikes out in an AB in which he started down 0-1 thanks to a time violation. We should get to that certainly as well. Three time violations by the Blue Jays today is not a good look no matter how you slice it. And then Vladimir Guerrero Jr., like he battles back to 3-2. and two. He had a good eye on some of those pitches, especially inside. I actually thought it was a good AB, but unfortunately it ends in a way that people are going to mostly remember despite battling back to 3-2. and two because he swings at two pitches, I think in a row, yeah. below the zone that both of them have been ball for. They yeah. would have walked a run and tied the game. For sure. And it's easier said than done. I, I thought he might adopt the approach, though, of really make sure you're not fooled by the slider. And his hands are so quick that even if he's looking for an 88, 89 mile per hour pitch, he could still catch up to 97, 98. Now, again, that's so much easier said than done to look for 90 and then catch up to 98. I mean, that's what makes Brian Abreu so ridiculous and yeah for Vladdy at the same time if you flop spots him and Bo in the order and Vladdy's hitting with one out it's a fantastic at bat that he ties the game off I mean he hit a fly ball deep enough to score with Merrifield from third but there were two outs it really it's it's the back break of the Springer ball being lined right at a guy I mean I would have scored at least a couple of runs yeah I I don't if not even cleared the bases for sure I I think if it goes down the line like if he ropes if he pulls it further I think it does score everyone because it's Nathan Lucas on first who's fast 
the way I take it, even though I don't think this is exactly how the math people intended it, because hit probability is just exit velocity and launch angle. Just with that exit velocity and launch angle, how likely is it to be a hit? So he hit it to part of the 30% of the field in terms of like left to right angle, right, first right. to third angle that he could hit it where it got caught. And then the, the huge backbreaker is the bow strikeout. I mean, to not put the ball in play, he's a fast guy, tough to double up. Obviously there was a force at home, but that's the one where it really turns. And all of a sudden it's not a gimme chance for Vladdy. It's like any other scoring chance where he had to come up with a hit. And the math on having to come up with a hit is most of the time you're not going to do it when you need it. Well, Bo, he fought off a, a number of yeah. like 97 to 99 mile an hour fastballs to stay alive, including a 99 mile an hour fastball right down the middle, essentially. And so, so did Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Brian Abreu is very good. And, and so, so hard. And that, that's why I, I do, I give them some, like a teensy bit of leeway, but with no outs for them not to even at least tie the game on a on a on a sack fly is I think what gets me and even like even had the bottom of the eighth inning gone exactly the same way at least you you'd be able to look back to the production of the top three and say okay well I mean I suppose if they only got a sack fly and tied the game up from Springer Pichette Vladdy you'd still be saying okay well you want more with the bases loaded and no outs but this is this was the worst case yeah this is the worst case scenario absolutely yeah I, I do think part of it you know as as bad as that was, part of it does come down to they didn't generate enough chances. Like, this wasn't some of the games early last year where they put so many runners in scoring position and didn't come up with hits. Those three at-bats, Springer, Bichette, Guerrero, were three of the four at-bats they had the entire game with runners in scoring position. So it, it they do need them to come up in that spot, but I think in an ideal world with this more contact on base focused team. You just want to generate more chances and put your team in a better opportunity to knock in those runs. Cause at the end of the day, obviously over four runners in scoring position isn't good, but it's not terrible. It was only four chances. Yeah. The blue Jays, unfortunately runners in scoring position uh, did not make the most of it. And we've, we've talked about the runners in scoring position issue before. And I still think it's early enough that Pretty it's not, early. it's not something I'm going to be super concerned about, but it is frustrating when you know, they had their best opportunities. The guys who, who most take advantage of those kinds of opportunities more, most often. And, and unfortunately they were not unable to do it today. Uh, let's go to the phone lines, Ben, for one, six, eight, seven, oh, zero, five, 90 star, a star five, 90 in your cell, one, triple eight, triple six. 0590 Gregory calling in from Bell River. Gregory, how's it going today? Welcome to J Stock. Hey guys. Uh first time caller, long time listener. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for calling in. What's thanks on your for mind? Calling. Uh, you're welcome. Um so I've noticed this and this kind of goes back to last year too, where the Jays will seem to like, you know, score eight or nine runs in a game and then go on these droughts. And I, I think, like, they score a lot of runs as a team. But, you know, when it comes to, like, consistently putting up five or six to win a game, they don't seem to be able to do that. It's kind of like feast or famine. And I just wanted to hear what you guys had to say. Sure. So I'll hang hey, up and listen. Hey, Gregory, thank you for staying up late. Thanks for calling into Jay's Talk. Have a great night. Uh, yeah, look, the situational hitting tonight 
was uh, was not good. There's no way to slice it. Like it just wasn't right. They yeah. couldn't they couldn't do much against Luis Garcia. They only had a couple of base runners on her. His basically all, seven innings of this game. And then when they did get guys on, I'll, I'll I'll give the bottom of the order credit. I will give them credit, including Whit Merrifield. And I do kind of wonder if uh, that puts the nail in the coffin for how people feel about the second base situation when it comes to Santiago Espinal. But Whit Merrifield laces the hit down the field to get at least one run on the board. But it's true. The, the Gregory's point about situational hitting is, is well taken because we haven't at least a lot this season against quality teams because, I don't know, you baseball has such been that you do or you can beat and lose to any team on any given night. But I do feel like there is a bit more of, ex, of an expectation to beat the Royals and the Tigers of the world versus, you know, having lesser results against, let's say, the Cardinals and the Astros. Yeah, I mean, it is tough to consistently score runs. The the teams they've played in the last two series, I do think skew it a little bit. But to Gregory's point, point, I mean, they scored one run tonight, four yesterday, which is fine, but Mm -hmm. it's not phenomenal. Two the day before that, one the day before that. So in the last four games, they're averaging two runs per game. I believe that math was correct. Um, It's not not fantastic. I do think it will be like last year it did really feel like Hey, it's a game where, you know, Vladdy homers, Tay Oscar homers, Bo homers, they win nine, one, and then no one homers and they lose. I do think this team as the season progresses will show itself to be more balanced. And because of the heavier contact approach, it will be closer to a five or six per game. I mean, I, I would say, you know, if you look at the two Tampa wins in that three game series, they scored five, one game, six, the other, they can do it. I, I do think they will be a more consistent this year. But, you know, with super young, talented players a lot of the time, I do think you can get in these really hot streaks and get in these cold streaks too because part of age and part of experience is being more consistent. I see a lot of texts here that unfortunately echo the the sentiment that this game was lost when the top of the order couldn't really get a lot done because you look there are a lot of tech like this is Jay from Regina. The big guys couldn't get it done in top of the eighth. Inexcusable. Bo's clock violation also inexcusable. Jay's bullpen is no match to Houston's. It's a good point. Like it's a very good point. The, the, the for him to start off zero and one in that situation, it, it I mean I'll borrow Jay's word. It is inexcusable because of the the. T- it's always going to be that, but in that particular situation, when you're in such a, a a high leverage moment in the ball game, to already be down by a strike, especially when there already had been two timer violations previously one of which ended an inning with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That's unacceptable. Yeah. And it's your most important plate appearance of the game. And you know that. And so it's, it's tough. I know people have mixed feelings about the rule, but regardless of how you feel about the rule, the, the blue Jays should strive to be one of the better teams within the frames of the rule. I mean, I think it was Corbin Burns a couple days ago who really smartly, it was three, two, two outs. He knew runners were going waited till the end of the clock and then turned and picked one (laughs) off because he figured they'd start running with one second left on the clock instead of zero. So you want to be one of those teams at the end of the day. Again, even if you don't like the clock, it's better for the blue Jays to be good with the clock. And today they just weren't necessarily good with the clock. The giving away strikes, can change a game. It's super early still. They are fewer. It'll be the 20th real game they play with the pitch clock tomorrow. So you don't want to harp too much. But at the same time, going down 0-1 is huge. Like most pitching coaches that I talked to last year, at least in the minors, when they were talking to young pitchers, the most important thing was turning 0-0 counts into 0-1s and 1-1 counts into 1-2s because you can throw pitches outside of the zone when you're ahead. 
the difference between giving up that strike was massive. After one pitch, Bo Bichette was down 0-2, and he had to fight for his life. Let's go back to the phone lines. 416-870-0590. 590 Star 590 on your cellular device. Still some time to send us some texts. 590-590. Josh calling in from Bowmanville. Josh, welcome to Jay's Talk. How's it going this evening? Good, guys. Thanks for uh, taking my call here. Yeah, what's up? Uh, just a quick one here. I don't think we need to hit the panic button uh, regarding the runners and scoring position. It is April. Um, of course, we'd like to take the series in Houston. I'm just wondering what you guys' thoughts would be on potentially dropping Vladdy back to fourth and as Chappie's having this uh, career year, moving him up to third and then putting the left-handed back in the fifth spot. Sure. Hey, Josh, oh, appreciate yeah. the call. Yeah, thanks for calling in, man. I don't I don't mind moving Chapman up in the order. I'll say that much. He batted fifth today. I think he's actually batted fifth maybe a couple games in a row. I do think when we go, when we see the batting order released, Ben, for the Yankees series, if Chapman's not at least batting fourth, I, I think that should change, right? Like, I don't know where you fall on moving him up in the order. So I, I agree, but I think there's a chance he won't be because of the lefty-righty stuff. I suppose that's true. That's where... Who's that, scheduled to pitch this weekend? Let me take one look. I, I, I know we're going to see... We're, at some point, we're going to see Garrett Cole. I believe yes, Garrett Cole, Cole is, on, is on Saturday. Cole Manoa. Kikuchi's going to pitch for the Blue Jays on Friday. So Domingo Herman pitches the opener for the Yankees, who's a right-hander for those who don't know, and right. then Clark Schmidt pitches oh, yeah. the ending he hasn't also a right hand yeah, yeah. so okay. um it's who knows i mean i wonder you know he hit the ball hard but springer was one of the guys up in that eighth inning mm-hmm. he had an over series like if i'm going now we talked about yesterday it's a pretty difficult thing to go up to one of the best leadoff hitters in all of baseball and say because of 18 games we're going to drop you back but Vladdy's hitting 340. You know, I don't know if I want to give him fewer at-bats per game. And every time you move someone back in the order, there's just less of a chance they'll come up for the fourth or fifth time. I, I'm for rewarding Chapman. I just, I wonder who, I don't believe they will move Vladimir Guerrero Jr. lower than three ever in his Blue Jay career, I would guess. I still, I still wouldn't mind seeing the top, let's say five, really four, but let's, let's extend it to five. I wouldn't mind seeing if Chapman was batting. I, first of all, I wouldn't mind seeing Bo back cleanup. I think that'd be very interesting to see. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing some combination, especially if you wanted to get a lefty bat in the top three, of seeing it maybe move Bo to four, move Blatty up to two, and then maybe bat Varsho third, right? Just to have a lefty bat in the top third, and then and, which unfortunately would still leave Matt Chapman batting fifth. But yeah. but if your top five in this in order was Springer, Vlad, Varsho. Bo Chapman. I, I think that still that still accomplishes what you want, I would think. And I think it, it accomplishes more in the name of balance. Like you right. get more you make it more difficult to bring in, let's say Brian Abreu. I, I don't truthfully know. I haven't looked at his numbers. Let's say he's much better against righties than lefties, like a lot of people are, including Zach Pop, who pitched today. Yeah. If you throw a lefty in that top three, it's harder for Dusty Baker to bring in the right hander if he knows there's a bad matchup. So I do think the right-handedness of Chapman restricts him a bit. Also, you know, he is off to a great start. Don't get me wrong. I'd be surprised if his offensive numbers surpass those of Vladdy by the end of the year. They could, but, you know, some of Matt Chapman's best years are 850-ish OPSs. That's kind of what Vladdy did last year and what a lot of people considered was a down year for him. It's just two different offensive players. Like, Chapman does a lot on defense. Vladdy doesn't do. So I I do think the righty-lefty stuff could prevent Chapman from moving up. Let's squeeze in one more caller before we take a break. Let's go to Russ calling in from New Jersey. Russ, welcome back to Jay's Talk. How's it going tonight? 
Good evening. Not many games that you lose eight to one, and you say we should have won that game. <laughs> but uh, tonight was one. Tonight was one of them, and I knew it was going to be a weird game when first inning. You know, probably the first time in baseball, first strikeout was looking to Springer. Bichette struck out swinging the second, and Guerrero got the trifecta by you know getting called out on the you know <laughs> to taking too much time. So that. You know, it's, it's, you know, yeah, you know, I, I don't get upset. I, of course, you want to win. And the most important thing was, you know, we know that pitching is, you know, we know the hitting is going to happen. Um, and Barrios pitching great tonight, not only pitch great, but against an excellent, excellent ball club, has to give him, should give him a lot of confidence. He was hitting that outside corner. Some of those pitches were just unhittable strikes. And, you know, it's only one game. But like I said, it's Houston. Uh, that should give him, you know, a lot of a lot of confidence. And, you know, we had two nice back-to-back starts by our third and fourth pitcher. Um, I know, you know, Sunday, you know, um, or, God, you know, Gosman didn't pitch well. But the bottom line is you had two starts from the pitchers that we, we questioned, and they threw good. And you, you know the offense is going to come around. Of course, it's frustrating when you have bases loaded, nobody out, and your top three hitters coming up, and you don't get hit. But, but that's baseball. So I, I think there's no loss. You don't like any loss, but there's something good to take out of this game that Barrios did pitch well, because we know, you know, Barrios and Kikuchi. That's gonna come down to how good the Blue Jays are this year. They need to get those fourth and fifth starters. You know, if they can get them right, they could have the best team in the American League. So. That's that's all I got to say for tonight. Hey Russ, appreciate you joining us on Jstock. Thank you for the call. I think he, Russ is Russ is right. I think the well, we actually haven't talked about Jose Barrios yet because yeah, it's funny. I, it'll that, be the whole second half of the show. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. I, I will say Barrios ended the seventh inning at seventy-seven pitches, and then obviously did not come back out for the eighth or ninth, but. 77 pitches like we, we were talking yesterday with Bassett about whether or not he could have thrown a complete game. Brios was on a way better pace for a complete oh, yeah. game. We just, we rarely see complete games and with them losing, even then I, I didn't think he was going to come back out for the, like, he, he wasn't going to get a complete game chance, but I was a little surprised down just one run that they didn't try and go back to Barrios, given that it was the eight and nine batters up there. Like they could have at least let him out, go out there and then yanked him if they needed to, but they didn't. I wonder if, so Kirk singles to start the inning. Mm-hmm. He worked very well with Barrios today for, for those watching Kirk's performances has caught both of the last two starts. Yep. He gets pinch run for, and I wonder if that point they just tell Barrios he's done. Cause he it is a little weird. It's not completely foreign. It's a little weird to switch catchers on a guy after seven strong innings, like to send him out in the eighth, even though he's pitched to Danny Jansen before and Danny Jansen, you know, by some accounts, some people would say calls a better game that I don't truthfully know that's for, for the Caleb Josephs and the people a lot smarter than me and catching to decide. Oh yeah. Buck Martin. There's catchers everywhere around here, by the way. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I think maybe just by the fact that Kirk got pulled, he was always going to be out. And there is an interesting, we didn't get into it a ton either, but an interesting domino from the fact that they don't pick up those hits, I think there's a chance that they go to someone higher leverage should the game even be tied right. going to the bottom of the eighth. But because they don't tie it up, 
they end up going to pop and then the game unravels. Boy, I want to continue talking about Barrios and I want to continue talking about the bullpen. Some good questions here on the text line and I'm sure the phone lines as well on both. Let's take a very quick break, squeeze in our break. When we come back, we'll get back to the phone lines, back to the text line because there's still a lot of chat about after an 8-1 loss because Russ is right. Like it's a game where you kind of feel like they should have won. Not many games where you lose by (laughs) seven runs. You think, oh, we should have gotten that one. It's very true what Russ said. So we will continue talking about this one. You're listening to Jay's Talk, Show and Ben on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to Jay's Talk on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Show Ali Ben Shulman with you. We're also streaming live on sportsnet.ca and on the Sportsnet app as well as we discuss a Jay's 8-1 loss to wrap up the series at Minute Maid Park. Jay's have the day off tomorrow before we see Yusei Kikuchi head to the mound on Friday for the first of three against the dreaded New York Yankees. In the Bronx, the first matchup against the Yankees of the season is in New York. We'll have that for you on Friday. Blair and Barker will have Jay's talk that game. And Ben and I will be back for Jay's talk on Saturday for the Alec Manoa game. So we'll see how he does in another start. But of course, today, the 8-1 loss in Houston. Uh, Ben, before we go back to the phone lines and back to the text line, very quickly, let's go to the Major League Standings Watch presented by Bet365. With Bet365, you can watch thousands of live games, build your own bet, and even make a bet while the game is still being played. 19-plus play responsibly, Ontario only. So the Boston Red Sox did lose tonight. Uh, big. Big, yeah. They got they got hammered uh, by the Minnesota Twins at Fenway, too. And they got absolutely smoked. Joey uh, Gallo. Joey Gallo blowing it open. Uh, Canada's own Edouard Julien clubbing his second home run of the year and the big win for Minnesota. So they lose. Unfortunately, the Rays, Orioles, and Yankees all won tonight. So because of that, here's how the ALE standings look. Uh, the Rays are 16-3 and three after crushing the Reds. Baltimore blanks. Who did they play tonight? Nats. Ah, the Nats. Second day in a row they what shut a, out the Nats. What a forgettable team. It's a big, <laughs> hey, it's a big matchup. The Mid-Atlantic Sports Network, Masson, they cover both those teams, uh, you know, in a place where not a lot of baseball has been won recently. That's a big matchup. Big night in uh, Maryland, <laughs> I guess, a western part of Maryland. Or, or the District of Columbia. <laughs> and the Yankees, uh, they, they actually survived this one, I would say. Glaber Torres knocking in an RBI sack fly, and uh, the Yankees walk away 3-2 winners over Shohei Otani and the Angels. So 16-3 for the Rays, 11-7 for both the Orioles and the Yankees. Jays are 11-8, so they are a half game back of the Orioles and Yankees. The Boston Red Sox are 9-10. But I don't know. The standings watch this early in the season. There's so much baseball left to be played. And the Jays also have, I do think it's important to note, a relatively difficult schedule versus the teams that these other these other guys get to play. Like the like, yes, they've played the Royals and the Tigers, but they have the you know they've also played the Rays and the Astros and the Cardinals. Yeah, the the majority of, I think I could say this the majority of the teams they've played so far are expected to be playoff teams. Yeah, and yeah. and that will continue when they play the Yankees. <laughs> and I mean, for some people, it'll continue when they play the White Sox, who probably won't be a playoff team. But granted, they have a lot of talent. So yeah, it is always tough. But I mean, the Orioles beat a team expected to finish last or second last in their division. The Yankees beat the Angels, who I I think if you like the Rangers, then you probably pick the Angels to finish last or second last in their division. The Cincinnati Reds picked to finish last or second last in all of baseball, probably. So Yeah, I see here. I'm just looking at the schedule. The Jays after the Yankee series, they play the White Sox at home, the the Mariners at home, which is the first time you're seeing the Mariners since the wild easy, card. Yeah, not an easy series. Tay Oscar's return. Yes, true, too. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun in a lot of different ways. And then, yes, they take on the Red Sox and the Pirates, but 
the Pirates have been shockingly well, good. This the Pirates year. have a better record than the Blue Jays. <laughs> it's kind of wild. They are twelve and seven on uh, the back of a historically resurgent Andrew McCutcheon. And then you look at it's a game. The games against the Phillies, Braves, Yankees, Orioles, Rays again. So it's not an easy first half. But I do think the Blue Jays are a good enough team, a team that has championship aspirations. They will. Uh, I think they will bounce back from an eight to one defeat tonight. I do want to talk a little bit about Jose Barrios with you, Ben. We have less than we have ten minutes here. And we haven't talked too much about him. A game in which he pitched, this was his final line, seven strong innings, three hits, two runs, both of which were earned on the Jake Myers, two RBI double, one walk, three strikeouts, lots of weak contact. Like he held the Astros to an average exit velo of 80.7 miles an hour. And it was his first seven inning start since July 31st of last year. So I, I, I think no matter how you look at it, this was a terrific outing for Barrios. And and again, like the, like the texters were saying, it is a little, and you brought up a great point with Kirk being pinch hit for and so on, pinch pinch run for and so on. So it makes sense. So I, I I can get behind that reasoning for why he did not come back out for the eighth. But at seventy seven pitches and he was pitching that well, it was a little surprising. I mean, best believe if this is like twenty ten or earlier, he's finishing that game. <laughs> I he certainly would. Yeah, he could have he could have finished that game. I really think he could have. But it, it was a phenomenal performance. Really was kind of a non Jose Barrios performance. Usually when he's dominant, he's striking out a lot of guys, yeah. and it's a lot of swing and miss. It was more weak contact. To be fair, he threw. 38 slurves. Remember when we were saying he couldn't throw 67% slurves? He didn't, but he threw 50. I mean, good for him. He, he, he definitely pushed it. He threw 38 slurves and 39 non slurves. Uh, but the slurve worked really well for him. Fastball got touched up a little, but at the same time, uh, Russ mentioned it. He threw a couple unhittable fastballs, like right on the corner. And he did just enough with it and a lot with the sinker average exit velocity with the sinker, which could also be described as a two seam fastball mm-hmm. 69 and a half. Woo. I mean, that's going to play That's yeah. You don't need the four seamer all the time. If the two seamers working, that's a straight enough pitch to pitch you out of three Oh, two Oh counts. So yeah, it was great. Is it crazy to say that this was a better start than his last start? I uh, no, I, I don't think it's crazy. I think opponent, the, the Tampa Bay Rays are good, but they're usually great pitching average offense. Right. Houston Astros are, are an offensive junk. I mean, they showed it right when he left, you know, they, <laughs> yeah. they still put up their eight runs. So I think this was more impressive. Also it being on the road because of his sure. huge home road splits last year. That's fair. I think that that, and his previous two starts on the road this season, he had been hit really hard in both. I did want to get to the bullpen as well. And I see a text here from, uh, let's see where it is. Here's it. Max from Etobicoke. Why didn't Schneider let Brios finish a complete game? Pop is being overused and Simber second time this year coming into an inning failed, giving up home runs. Uh, gasoline back end of bullpen is suspect wave Simber. Okay. Well, first of all, that's probably not happening. They're not waving. Uh, Simber. Yeah. I mean, first of all, not to harp on anyone, but it was more on pop than it was on Simber. Well, and, and so I do kind of wonder if this game, because you and I have gotten texts about pop, pitch him in higher leverage situations. Well, he did. He he got yeah. the pitch, pitch in That's higher leverage like, situations. Pitching too today. many times, right when he goes into higher leverage, feels uh, a little convenient. Yeah, <laughs> like he, he sat down eight and nine in the order immediately, like yeah. right away. And then again, also more or less immediately loads the bases against the top of the order. And then they, and then the guys do their damage culminating with the, the Jeremy Pena three run bomb against Simber. Like it's, it's for me, it's still a situation where I'd rather have seen e- either Barrios for more for at least two more outs. And then against the top, against the first batter, you pitching change him for Swanson or just someone else. But I just don't know if my personal faith, I'm curious if you feel differently. Would was that high in Zach pop, especially with an off day tomorrow? 
Yeah, I just think it, he has succeeded very well in the non-leverage role. And and I'm again, in the future, I'm almost sure he will be a very high leverage pitcher considering how well he has done to start his career. This was an opportunity for him in a, in a spot that he hasn't been in a ton of times. And and granted, if you go look at the Jose Abreu single that he gave up, the two-run single that blows it open to 4-1, that pitch was out of the zone. It was a good pitch. Yep. Really, some of the bigger mistakes came on. He left a slider over the middle of the plate to Dubon, and then he threw one to Bregman that was a little low, but he meant to throw it outside where the glove was set up, and he again left it a little over the middle. So, the you know, these are the margins that you have against six, seven, eight, nine that you don't often have against one, two, three, and it didn't work out awesomely for him today with Simber. Frankly, I wonder, like, I don't believe they were preparing for another pitcher to get up. Pop got the first two outs. There was nobody on. Yeah, no one was. Simber warms up yeah. faster than anyone else because he's a side armor. Like that, it's it's easier to warm up quickly. Yeah. They had an off day tomorrow, and the game was a little bit gone, frankly, by the time. I mean, it got worse, but right when they made it 4-1, it was pretty much done at that point. So I'm not yeah. sure it, there was a masterful chess move going into effect when they put Simber in as much as. Yeah, yeah. I would have just liked to. I think for me, I would have. This is hindsight, absolutely. But I, yeah. I would have liked to have seen. Just pop, not at all. <laughs> yeah, see, they had Swanson, Swanson up. They had Swanson oh, up at well. one point. I, I do want to get to this with you before we go. This is from Forbes in Toronto. And uh, he says, since the inception of replay, the advances in technology, MLB has had years to amend the momentary millisecond loss of contact with the bag, and they've done nothing. Umps use description all the time in, in myriad rule interpretations and applications. Allow them to use baseball common sense. And he's talking about the Whit Merrifield being called out at second, top of the fifth inning. After review, they say the call stands, which I think is important because he was called out. I, fir- like, I firmly believe... means they didn't know. They didn't know. Yeah, like, slow motion replay. <laughs> if he was safe, it, w- it would have also stood because yeah. they had no... Bad uh, angle. They, they couldn't overturn either way. But it's just... I, I agree with Forbes's point in a general sense as we wrap up here, Ben, only because... It just seems kind of like the offsides rule in the NHL. Like if a guy, if the if the tip of a guy's blade is over the blue line, that that did had no bearing on whether or not the goal that happened thirty seconds later was a goal or not. Similarly, Wet Merrifield was clearly safe, and he would, or at the very least, he had clearly beaten the throat of the bag. And if he comes off the bag for like a millisecond, does that really change what he accomplished? Personally, I say no. So. I, I do appreciate the point from Forbes. Yeah, I, I totally think it's a valid point. Like you said, I mean, they didn't put in the NHL challenge because of guys, you know, straddling the line with their blade a little bit off the ice. They didn't put in, you know, challenges in baseball because a guy for a fraction of a second, and again, we don't even know, but for a fraction of a second had a centimeter of distance between him and, and the bag. That's obviously not why they put it in. They put it in because Galarraga should have had a perfect game and all these other plays right. that were blatantly obvious. So it it is potentially a valid point. I just don't know while replay is in how they solve it. Like I am, I'm of the very unpopular opinion that replay has not made sports better because it's an entertainment business. And I don't actually think it makes it more entertaining. They are closer to getting everything right. But I, I agree with Forbes's point is getting everything absolutely right. The point like to the exact letter, yeah. especially when stuff like calls stand. And then we don't truthfully know if everything was right or not. Forbes mentioned that Blair had lamented earlier, but like what's a catch, what's not a catch in the NFL. It's kind of the same thing, right? When you see like the ball move, like the tip of a football move one degree and they're like, ah, I moved yeah. when he hit the ground. It's not a catch. Like it's yeah. just, I hate that kind of, stuff. I really do. It really bothers me. No, I, I agree. Like it wasn't like there was a big separation of Merrifield's mid. It was, did 
did it, the bag shift at all and, and stuff that really no one would ever see pre-replay. That has been Shulman. I'm Show Ali. Thank you for listening to Blue Jays Baseball, brought to you by Crown Rust Protection. Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is coming to theaters May 5th to celebrate. Crown Canada's number one Rust Protection is offering a special spring promotion inspired by the movie. Visit crown.com for details. See Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 only in theaters May 5th. Ben Shulman, Ben Wagner, Tom Young, Emily Savard. That does it for Jays Talk. Appreciate it, guys. Jays wrap up the series with an 8-1 loss. Blair and Barker have Jays Talk for the first game in New York. Ben and I are back on Saturday for the Manoa Cole game. Have a great off day. We'll talk to you Saturday.